Watch it now. Watch it now. That's on the recording. We need to meet this week, Lisa. Glad you're here. We like to tease here at Wyoming Valley Church. Happy Mother's Day once again to every mother out there. We hope it's a great day for you. We have communion today. We had communion today. So we're actually going to pause this week and sort of do a communion lesson, a lesson that goes along with communion. I think it's just proper to do that sometimes, to give it an elongated version of remembering what our Lord Jesus has done. And we, fit, we just finished the book of 1 Peter, so it's one of those good transition weeks. As, my pa- as uh, Pastor Mel spoke, we are, we are going to start a series on the church for the next four or five weeks. And I think it's just one of those things that's been on my heart and mind lately, and I think it's just one of those things we need to go over as a church and just get on the same page, and I think it's going to be really beneficial. We're going to start that next Sunday. We'll eventually get to Second Peter somewhere down the road. I don't know exactly when that is, but that's our tentative plan going forward. But today we're going to look at Luke chapter 17, if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 17, we're calling our sermon today the Thankless Nine, from Luke chapter 17. I want to read verses 11 to 19, so if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. Listen to the Word of God. It says in verse 11, On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. That's our passage today. We're going to call it the Thankless Nine. Did you ever not appreciate something like you should have? We just mentioned it like six or seven times. What is today? Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day, right? Mother's Day. Are moms one of those things in our lives sometimes that we don't appreciate like we should? If you're honest, you'll say yes. In some regard, I have not appreciated my mom like I should. When, when you're young, moms are great. Moms take care of you. They watch out for your needs. They're feeding you. You probably don't appreciate them like, they, like you should. But still, mom is a great person to have around. And I remember staying home from school, being sick, and my mom would just shower us with love. It was great. I hated school, so uh, that was a good thing. But uh, somewhere in the, to the teenage years, I'm going to confess, I lost sight of the value of my mom. And mom was one of those people that, uh, for some reason, I just didn't want around me that much any longer. Um, <laughs> humor me today, okay? I have permission for my mom to share a few of these stories, but uh, <laughs> during high school, she would do things like this. Mom would send me a, a, a bag of lunch to, to eat. But on this brown paper bag, I, in high school, you're trying to not be noticed. Really. I mean, in a, in a big high school like I went to, you don't really want to stand it. You kind of want to blend in. So I would get my brown paper bag. Lunch was as good. It just blended in with everybody else's. But on the brown paper bag was my big name, Todd. And for some reason, I was really embarrassed by that. Like, Mom, we don't put the names on the bags. It's just a bag. Okay. I don't want to stand out. But there was my name in big, bold letters, just so Steve didn't grab my lunch. This is Todd's lunch. 
Also, while opening the lunch, I would bring out my sandwich and my chips and my little dessert there, and on occasion, a little note would fall out. And I didn't realize it was there, so it would fall out on the table. I'm like, oh, no. And I try to grab the note before, you know, someone can call me a mama's boy. And I would grab the note, put it on my lap, and read it and go, okay, thanks, Mom. I appreciate it. So didn't appreciate that too much. Uh, I also played sports growing up, and my mom <laughs> would come to our sporting events and would cheer weirdly at those sporting events. One year playing basketball, we had these purple uniforms, purple shirts, which is bad enough. And I wasn't, a, I wasn't a great basketball player. Now I'm in a purple shirt. And there's my mom in the stands going, yay, purple, go purple. And I'm like, mom, no, no, zip it. We don't cheer that. We don't cheer yay purple. No. I would then miss the shot, hit the rim, and my mom would go, oh, at least she hit the rim. Good job. Like, mom, we don't cheer for that either. That's called a miss. That's a brick. We don't cheer for that. In baseball, I would go up and I would whiff, you know, and she'd cheer for that. Oh, what a nice swing. Way to swing. Good job. Mom, the ball was up here and I swung down here. We don't cheer for that. So she would cheer weirdly at my sporting events and be like, okay, mom, simmer down. Um, she would also on occasion like try to set me up with the, with the daughters of her friends. That did not go well. That was not a good thing. Um, and she, one time she went to a conference and would come back and say, hey, Todd, there's a daughter of one of my friends who's single. And I actually have a picture of her. So she shows me the picture and I'm like, oh, thanks, mom. Laura Ingalls from Little House in the Prairie. Yeah, because that's what I'm looking for. Mom, don't set me up anymore. <laughs> I've got my own thing going. Mom would also like to share stories. When I would eventually get a girlfriend, she would like to share stories. Any of the moms do that out there? You like to share stories of your child from the past with the girlfriend? Wow, that is horrible. <laughs> horrible, horrible thing to do. My, my girlfriend would call Vomer, and I wanted to meet my parents, you know, get to know them and stuff like that. And my mom would be like... <laughs> Yeah, Todd, he had some funny things back in the day. Remember that, Todd, remember that year you didn't wear jeans? Yeah, remember that? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Mom. I know, it was a style. I was going for something. She's like, oh, that was funny. Uh, how about that year you were chubby, Todd? Remember when you were 12 and you were a big boy? Oh, it was so funny. We went to Florida on vacation, and Todd would do cannonballs in the pool and basically clear the water right out. He was just, what a chubby little boy he was. I'm like, Mom. Come on, you're killing me. Todd, do you also remember that one time we caught you picking your nose on the videotape? <laughs> no, Mom, I think it was an itch. It was an itch. She goes, no, 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 Todd, I, we have the videotape. We can watch the videotape. I'm like, Mom, come on. I embellished some of those stories probably, but uh, there was a time that I didn't really appreciate my mom for what she was. But there was a time later on in my life. When I moved to Michigan, as you guys have heard many times, um, five years after I moved to Michigan, we found out we were pregnant with twins, and our life changed from that moment on. And what happened is uh, Janine was one of those high-risk pregnancies, and so she was at risk with the twins to, to um, go into labor really early. And the doctors realized that, and so what they actually had to do is put Janine on bed rest at like 25 weeks, and hope, hopefully just keep those twins in as long as possible. And so Janine had to go on bed rest, which means, and we had a son by then, we had a ministry, we had, we had planted a church. Janine basically had to do nothing. She had to lay in bed all day, and it was, gonna, it was getting dicey. And I was like, wow, what are we going to do? Janine can't take care of our child. She can't make meals. She can't serve the church. 
So my mom put her life on hold, and my mom came out to Michigan, and she did a couple things. On occasion, she would take our older son, Haddon, and just take him back to Pennsylvania with him and just watch over him for a week or two so we could just focus on what we needed to focus on. Or sometimes she would stay with us, and she would make meals. She would watch over Haddon. She would, let, she would free me up to do ministry. The twins were by, finally born at week 31, which is nine weeks early. And so they had to go into this thing called the NICU, if you guys have ever heard of that, and uh, where the premature babies go. And so the twins had to be in there for like nine weeks. And so Janine and I would have to go back and forth to the hospital like a few times a day to check on our twins and see how they're doing and, and spend time with them. And so, again, with, with a little child and things like that, how are we going to pull that off? Well, my mom was there. She said, I don't want you to worry about it. I'm going to be here. I'm going to watch Haddon. I'm going to make meals. I'm going to do whatever you guys need me to do, and I'm going to do it for as long as you need me. And I think it was then that I really started to value what my mom brings to the table. And uh, I just want to thank you for that. And uh, even though I, I joke with her at the beginning, bombs are a very valuable thing, aren't they? I hope you're thankful for your mom today. I hope you take the time to tell her how much she means to you. But this passage we're going to look at today is, is along the same lines, only it's much grander and much worse of what we're going to deal with today because we're calling the sermon the Thankless Nine. And I just read you the tale. It's probably a tale you're familiar with. It's probably one you've heard growing up or even recently, but I want to go through the details of the story just so we're clear with what is happening in this story. So the first thing we see is that Jesus enters a village. It is a village between Galilee and Samaria. So there is going to be people in there of Jew, of Samaria, maybe of a mixture. There is a village there in between those two. And Jesus enters this village and there are lepers there. There are at least 10 lepers in this village. And it doesn't tell us this in the passage, but does Jesus go there on purpose? I don't know. I don't know if Jesus went there on purpose, but I like to assume that he did. I like to assume that Jesus knew who was there, he knew what he was going to do, and he went there to meet a specific need from these lepers. And these 10 lepers are there in this village, and they meet Jesus at a distance. And the reason they meet Jesus at a distance is by law, lepers could not approach anyone. They had to keep their distance because leprosy was thought to be highly contagious. So the lepers could not approach Jesus, but they know he's there. Jesus is in their village. They know what he's capable of, but they can't approach him. So what they do is the ten beggars, uh, excuse me, the ten lepers use their voice and they yell loudly, begging Jesus to heal them, saying, Master Jesus, have mercy on us. All ten in unison. And Jesus, just like he does on countless occasions, he has compassion upon the lepers. All ten. He has compassion on all ten lepers, and he gives them instruction for their healing, saying, go and show yourselves to the priests. So all ten do. All ten journey on their way to see the priests. But this is where the story sort of takes an interesting turn. Because one single leper, a Samaritan, and if you know anything about the relationships between Samaritans and Jews, it wasn't good. They didn't like each other. But I'm guessing because of the distance, because of where this was, and because of the fact that lepers sort of had their own community, there's at least a mixture of Samaritans and Jews. Probably the, what the story is putting forward, though, there's probably nine Jews and one Samaritan. And it says one single leper, a Samaritan, decided it important enough to return to Jesus, praising God and giving thanks to Jesus. And what we have here is a turn, is a twist in this story, because now Jesus is realizing something, and he's shocked. Jesus is shocked, but he's not shocked 
because one guy came back to give him thanks. Why is he shocked? Because the nine others do not. There's one guy returning thanks to Jesus, and there's nine others who don't do anything. They just carry on with their lives. And so Jesus asks this phrase. He says, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Didn't I heal? Didn't I cleanse ten of you? Where are the nine? Kind of confused. But one guy returned, one Samaritan, one leper who realized what Jesus had done for him, returned and gave thanks. And Jesus looks at the leper who returned, and he says, your faith has made you well. And I'm guessing at this point Jesus is talking more profoundly than just his leprosy because he came back to follow Jesus, to, to thank Jesus. And most likely, most likely what Jesus is meaning here is not only have you been saved from your leprosy today, you've also been saved from your sins today. And so that man was healed of his leprosy and his sins. But here's really the crux of the story, the salvation. The salvation of these ten lepers. We're going to talk a little bit here in a minute about what leprosy was, what it entailed. But really, this is the crux of the entire story that it says in verse 14, as they went, they were cleansed. All 10 lepers were healed in a moment, in an instant. It didn't say um, they were made well. It didn't say they were healed. It said they were cleansed. And I think that's a very important word, cleansed. Because that is a word that we see in Scripture from time to time. It is. We see this idea of cleansing, but generally speaking, it has nothing to do with the physical person. It's not talking about taking a bath or a shower or anything like that. It's talking about the soul. And I want to look at a few verses from Scripture that talk about this idea of cleansing. Because we know what the leper was cleansed from, right? We know that he was cleansed from his illness, from his filth, from his illness. But do we realize that there's even another more profound cleansing available through Jesus? We do, right? We know that. That's what we celebrate today is that Jesus offers another cleansing. It says in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light, and maybe that's even an interesting parallel because he told the lepers, go show yourselves to the priests. They had to obey. It says in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And listen to this phrase, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Cleanses us from all sins. In John 15, verses 3 to 4, it says this, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. There it is again. Cleanses and clean. One more passage from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Listen to what it says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Do you notice the cleansing there in Scripture? We've been cleansed, we've been cleaned, we've been washed. What has been washed? Our sins have been washed away. It says in the Old Testament, Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. There's a cleansing in Scripture that I believe, if you go on this journey with me, this leprosy and this, this story here today is going to parallel. 
It's going to parallel. There's a cleansing that is physical, and then there's a much more profound cleansing that is of spiritual nature. And what I want to do is I, I want to try to unlock this parallel for us today. Because I think there's a story on the surface, and then I think there's a deeper story. We need to talk about leprosy for a minute, because leprosy is not really an illness we're familiar with. I think people do get it today, but I'm not sure the leprosy today is even as severe as it was back in the Bible days. Leprosy was a sickness that literally covered a person head to toe in infected skin and lesions. It was horrible. Every part of the leper was considered unclean. They were considered hopeless, completely hopeless. In fact, if you can see it even here in the story, the lepers had their own communities. They had to be around each other because they could not be around their friends and their family members. They could not be around their loved ones because their disease was thought to be highly contagious. So they couldn't be around the people that they loved. So they had their own communities. They had their own leper community that they would hang around with. And those were going to be your friends until death. And that was the state of your physical, um, physical life as you were just going to be a leper and live in this leper community. And I sort of found a description online about leprosy back in the Bible days that I want to read. Just so we understand this, this parallel needs to make sense. And for order for that parallel to make sense, we need to understand what leprosy was. It says... As the disease progresses, pain would turn to numbness, and the skin would lose its original color and become thick, glossy, and scaly. Sores and ulcers would develop, especially around the eyes and the ears, and the skin would begin to bunch up with deep furrows between the swelling so that the face of the afflicted, excuse me, the face of the inflicted individual would look similar to that of a lion. Since the disease attacks the larynx also, the voice would become hoarse and it would acquire a grating quality. In Leviticus 13, it outlined a specific procedure for dealing with a person suspected of being infected with leprosy. A priest would have to inspect the lesion, and after a period of monitoring and observation, if the condition did not improve, the person would be declared ritually unclean, which means they couldn't be around people, and they couldn't even worship and sacrifice to their God because of this illness. And maybe you're starting to see the parallel here between leprosy and sinfulness. It says leprosy was considered a sort of curse from God of profound impurity. To be declared unclean of leprosy meant that the unfortunate person had to tear his clothes, put a covering upon his upper lip, and cry every time someone came near him, unclean, unclean, so that no one by accident would get close to the leper. As the Jews were concerned about the condition that it was contagious. Such individuals were to be separated outside the camp. Ostracized from the community, they were left homeless without the support structure of family and friends. Do you see how miserable this disease was? That's important. That's a really important detail to know. How miserable this disease was. Hopeless. No friends, no family members, no cure. You had to yell unclean if anyone got even near, nearby you. But again, as I mentioned before, I think this parallel that we need to draw out here today is important because the, parable, the parallel for leprosy in the story that I see is our sinfulness before God. I think leprosy is a, I guess you could say, a wonderful parallel for sinfulness, even though it's a sad thing to think about because sin is a spiritual disease that completely covers our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. And before a Savior comes to that person, sinners are also considered to be 
in a hopeless state. And maybe you're starting to see the parallel here because I think sinfulness is a much, much worse disease than leprosy even is. And leprosy is horrible, a horrible disease. But the physical is going to go away, isn't it? The physical will pass. No matter what your ailment here is upon the earth, it's not going to last forever because the physical will pass away. But sinfulness, if it's not cured, will never go away. It's eternal because it's spiritual in nature. The physical will pass and the spiritual will live on. So we're going to now talk about sinfulness. We're going to talk about what it is. And what we're going to do actually is we're going to take the exact story that we just read and we're going to change one thing. One thing. And I'm not doing this to tamper with the Word of God. I believe the Word of God is representing here something deeper. But we're going to take the exact story and we're going to change leprosy to sinfulness. And I just want you to hear the story one more time with that one variation, okay? We're going to change leprosy to sinfulness, and I now want you to hear the details of the story. It says, Jesus entered the sinner's village. And again, did he do it on purpose? Probably. He probably did it on purpose. Number two, the ten sinners met him at a distance. Why? Because Jesus is holy. Jesus doesn't fellowship. He's from God. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. And the sinners would assume that Jesus wouldn't fellowship with them. The ten sinners therefore begged Jesus for healing mercy, saying, Master, Jesus, have mercy upon us. Jesus, as he does often, has compassion on all ten sinners and gave them instructions for healing. If you remember what it says in Psalm 103.12, it says, Sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. All ten sinners, as they obey Jesus' instruction, are healed instantly. One single sinner decided it important enough to return back to Jesus, praising God and giving thanks to Jesus, because he knew he had just received a profound gift. Jesus is shocked, not by the fact that one would return thanks. Jesus is shocked because... He wonders, where are the other nine? Didn't I heal ten sinners? Where are the other nine? I supernaturally saved ten of you by the spilling of my blood. Where are the other nine? Jesus looks at the one sinner who returned and he said to him, your faith has made you well. Do you notice the parallel? Do you notice the parallel between leprosy and sinfulness? Leprosy covers a person head to toe in illness, in filth, you could even say. Sinfulness covers a person head to toe spiritually in filth. But this man who was thankful, who did return to Jesus, I believe his faith was validated by his thanksgiving. I understand who you are, Jesus. I understand what I was. I understand that I received a profound gift that I didn't deserve, and I want you to be praised, Jesus. So the one leper returns to Jesus, praising God and falling at his feet, giving him thanks. Isn't that what was warranted? Isn't that what was deserved for, one, for all ten to come back and throw themselves at Jesus' feet, saying, Jesus, we had leprosy. We didn't have any loved ones. We didn't have any friends. We didn't have any hope. And in an instant, you cured us. But one guy came back. One guy came back to say thank you. Why would nine lepers who suffered every hour of the day neglect to give thanks to the Lord 
for their salvation. Why? Why would nine guys who suffered from sunup to sundown after they were cured neglect to thank Jesus for healing them from such a horrible disease? You could ask this question in a parallel. Why are seemingly so few Christians completely sold out to Jesus? We want to look at this parallel. I'm going to look, I'm going to look at one different parallel from this passage now. Because it talks about thanksgiving. It talks about thanksgiving from this one leper. And God expects thanksgiving, doesn't he? He expects thanksgiving from the lepers that he saved. He also expects thanksgiving from those whom he has redeemed. In fact, you could even say this. God expects even more profound thanksgiving. Because the disease of sinfulness is more putrid and filthy and eternal than the disease of leprosy. So just as Jesus expected the thanksgiving of the healed lepers, so does he expect the thanksgiving of redeemed sinners. Amen? Amen. But since our healing, our spiritual healing, takes a more profound and costly healing than leprosy, if you'll humor me, I believe our thanksgiving to God should be even that more profound. Even more profound than falling at the feet of Jesus in one event, saying thank you to Jesus because of the depth of our salvation. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And the last parallel I want to make from this story is I want to parallel thanksgiving and surrender. Because I believe the best thanksgiving to God is a life of total surrender to Christ. I believe surrender is proper thanksgiving for the life of someone who has been redeemed from Jesus by his blood. So we're going to look at another parallel here in a moment. Because Jesus asked this question, where are the nine? Didn't I cleanse ten of you? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Ninety percent of the lepers forgot, neglected, didn't think it important enough to return thanks to the Lord. But we're looking at another story here, sinners, sinfulness. What if it was in the 90%? What if 90% of those who have trusted in Christ, have believed that they have been saved from their sins, don't come back to just surrender their life to Jesus Christ? The question I have for you today is, does Christ know how thankful you are that you've been cleansed from your sinfulness? Does he know? Has he heard? Does he see? Does he recognize your thankfulness? Or would he say the similar question to us today? Where are the nine? Yeah, I have one. I have 10%. Where are the nine? Where are the others? Didn't I heal all 10 of you? Are we a part of the 90% neglecting to thank Jesus and surrendering our lives to him? Or are we a part of the 10% who returns back to Jesus and says, Jesus, whatever it is you wish, Wherever it is you want me to go, whatever it is you want me to do, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. And maybe that sounds like I'm making something up. 
Maybe that sounds like I'm taking this too far, but I, there is a 10% in Scripture, and I'm thankful for that 10%. 10% at least of people who did return to Jesus to surrender their lives to him. I'm going to give you four examples of the 10%, okay? Four examples of the example of the one leper who came back and said thank you to Jesus. And I'm not going to have you turn there. We don't have the time for all of that. But in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah was one of these guys. Isaiah gets to go before the throne of God, and it may have been in a vision, but Isaiah gets to see the throne of God. He's God's prophet. He's God's man. Isaiah gets to go before the throne of God in Isaiah chapter 6. And as soon as he experiences this, he has a perfect perspective because now he sees the holiness of God. And the first thing he does is he recognizes his unholiness, his unrighteousness before God. And he falls down and he says, woe is me. Woe is me. I am a sinful man. I dwell in the midst of a sinful people. Lord, be away from me. Don't come near me. Unclean, unclean, Lord. And you know how the story goes? In this vision, this heavenly creature, this seraph, comes to Isaiah, takes a piece of coal and touches his lips, and it completely purifies him of his sins, takes his sins away. So now he's not unclean. Now he has confidence to stand before the holy God. And we know what that's referring to, right? We're talking about the blood of Christ. It's talking about the healing salvation of our Lord Jesus. And then the question is posed. Out loud, generally speaking, the Lord has a question. Who will go to my people? Who will take a message to my people? Who would do this task for me? And you know what Isaiah says to the Lord? Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'm the guy, Lord. You cured me. You healed me. You could have crushed me. You could have destroyed me, but you saved me and you cleansed me. Lord, I'm your guy. Isaiah was one of those guys. He was one of the 10%. Here's another guy. In Luke chapter 19, we've heard of this guy before. His name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a short little man, wasn't he? Not only was, that, well, not only was he short, he was a fraud, a cheat, a scoundrel. He was a tax collector who was cheating people out of their money for years, and everybody hated Zacchaeus. But Jesus is coming to the village where Zacchaeus is. And Zacchaeus hears that and he wants to see Jesus just like everybody else does. But you have to remember, Zacchaeus is short. He's not going to be able to see over the crowd. And everybody hates this guy to begin with. So what does Zacchaeus do? He climbs a tree. He wants to see Jesus at all costs. He just wants to see him. He wants to see Jesus. So he climbs a tree and I can imagine the looks, people looking at Zacchaeus climbing this tree going, there he is. Good old Zacchaeus. But there he is climbing the tree and Jesus sees him up there. As he walks by, and Jesus comes to near where he is, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to dine with you today. I'm going to go have time, have, have time to spend with you today. And, and all the Pharisees are there grumbling, going, see, I told you. Fellowshipping with sinners. Look at this Lord Jesus. But Lord goes to Zacchaeus' house because he's the great physician, isn't he? And he's going to spend time with a sinner. But he knows he's the great physician. And what happens while he's spending time with Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus gets saved. And he says this thing to the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm going to pay back all the money I frauded. All of it. And not only that, I'm going to pay back four times what I frauded. And it says in the passage in Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus was part of the 10%. That said, Lord, whatever it's going to take, I'm yours. 
Here's another group of people in Matthew 4. Peter, James, and John, the first disciples. Now, in this wonderful story, I mean, it's, it's really a cool story. It'd be a cool story to see someone put on a movie or something like that because these fishermen, by trade, are fishing all night long, and they're really failing. They're getting no fish. And that they have to get fish in order to make money, in order to feed their family, in order to provide for their family, but they're not getting any fish. But Jesus strolls on by, and Jesus tells them, put your nets down on the left side of the boat. And they're like, well, we, we tried all night, Lord. We, we have gotten no fish. There's no fish in this area. But Peter says, at your word, Lord, we will drop the net. So they drop the net into the water. And you remember the story. What happens? There's so many fish in the nets that the nets are starting to break. So they eventually drag all these fish to shore, right? And now they've made a killing. They have so many fish. They're going to make a lot of money. They're going to be able to pro provide for their family for quite a long time, maybe even live comfortably. But it's right at that moment that Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what do Peter, James, and John say? Thanks, Lord. Appreciate the offer, but look at all these fish. We're going we're gonna to cash these in. We're going to live comfortably. No, what do they say? They follow him. They drop their nets. They leave their profession, and they follow Jesus. Peter, James, and John were part of the 10%. Here's another example. Our last one example is Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was pretty much the baddest guy you'd never want to run into if you were a Christian. Saul of Tarsus was the guy who was going town to town, finding as many Christians as he could to lock them up and possibly have them executed. If you were a Christian, you wanted no part of Saul of Tarsus. And so in Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus is going to this town called Damascus because he's going to go find more Christians. He's heard there's Christians there. So Saul of Tarsus is headed his way to Damascus to go get as many Christians as he can. He's a fisher of men in a way, in a bad way. But he's going to Damascus to find these Christians. And what happens? A light shines upon him. And the Lord himself speaks to Saul then and says, Saul, who are you persecuting? And Saul, for the first time, realizes that he's in the wrong. He's been doing everything wrong. He thought he was serving God, but now he's meeting the Lord going, Lord, I'm persecuting you. I'm persecuting the one Lord. And what does Paul do from that moment on, from at chapter 9 to chapter 28? Paul now, the apostle Paul, because of the grace and the cleansing of God for the rest of his life, surrenders his life to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story of redemption. And everyone is confused going, wait a minute, Saul of Tarsus? I don't want to be around Saul of Tarsus. But he's not Saul of Tarsus anymore, is he? He's been cleansed. He's been washed. He's been purified. He's now the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was part of the 10% because he's completely surrendered his life to Jesus. Do you see that in Scripture? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Do you see the parallel of leprosy and sinfulness? We started communion this way. I read Isaiah 53.5. I want you to listen once again and consider if you need a verse like this. Verse 5 of chapter 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. The word transgressions means sinfulness against God's law. Jesus was pierced for that, for our sinfulness against God's law. He was crushed for our iniquities. The word iniquities means grossly immoral behavior. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement 
That word simply means punishment. Upon him was the punishment, the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed, or you could say cleansed. Where are the nine? Didn't I heal ten of you? Didn't I heal many or all in this room? Why are not all of you surrendering yourself to Christ? And I don't know the souls here. But are you part of the nine or are you part of the ten percent? The one who returns to Jesus and gives Jesus a blank check and says, if you did that for me, then whatever you want, Lord, Whatever you say, Lord, wherever you ask me to go, Lord, is what I will do. I have a few questions for you to consider. Question number one is this. We have to start here. Have you sought out Jesus for cleansing from your sins? Because if you are a sinner, which we all are by nature, myself included, you need to be cleansed. You need to be cleansed from your sins. And Jesus, one of his greatest names in the Bible, is called the Great Physician. If you have an illness, if you have an ailment, the Great Physician can take care of it. But have you sought out Jesus for cleansing from your sins? Because we're all lepers spiritually by nature. And we all need cleansing. So that's a really important question to ask. If you have not, we started the communion the exact way. If you have not sought out Jesus today yet for your cleansing from your sins, I ask that you would do it today, that you wouldn't put it off any longer. If you need to, you can come talk to myself, to Pastor Mel, to any of the deacons. And we would show you how you can have that confidence. Or you can go directly to God himself and say, God, I need this cleansing. Question two is, if you have found cleansing from your sins, have you returned to Jesus yet to lay your life down for his sake as a way of saying thank you for all that he's given you? Not just every communion or Easter or Christmas. But have you surrendered to Jesus every single day? Because now we're not talking about leprosy. We're talking about sinfulness, which is spiritual <clears throat> filth. And Jesus is willing, more than willing, to cleanse us from all of that sin. And if you've been cleansed, have you returned? Have you returned like Isaiah and said, Here I am, Lord, send me. I'm your person wherever, whatever, for as long as you say, Lord. And question number three goes along with it. What would have to happen for you to finally surrender all to Jesus? Jesus went to the highest of heights. Jesus went to the longest of lengths. He went to the deepest of depths to save and cleanse us from our sins. What is he worthy of in your life? Is he worthy of our thanksgiving? Is he worthy of our surrender? Before I pray, we're going to play a song now. It's a song we played during communion, but I want you to listen and reflect on the words of this song, and then we'll pray after that.
with me. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this healing that we have found from our sinfulness. Father, we all all credit and glory to the Lord. I pray that we would listen to this message today. We would consider Jesus' question, where are the nine? And consider the state of our surrender and the state of our thanksgiving 
to Him today. And if we need to, Father, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, lay down our lives to Him and say, Jesus, you're worthy, whatever, wherever, for as long as you say. We thank you and we praise you for this message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.